Isaiah chapter 1, verses 16 through 20 is kind of our focus. Really, verse 17 is our focus, but we're going to look at 10 through 20 uh, because that's just the way Scripture works for us today. It is Compassion Sunday. Uh, There's a table back there. If you would like to sponsor a child, there are some, I believe, about 20 children available that you can sponsor. Uh, We do this every year. I love... uh, I love Compassion Sunday. Uh, I, I like uh, to, to talk about sponsoring and helping children. So that's what we're doing today. And I had a, a, a direction I, an, I imagined this message going uh, as I, I went to this verse and, and, and read it and knowing this was Compassion Sunday about children, but uh, as it turned out, God had a little bit of a different uh, idea uh, for me. But we'll get into the passage in a minute. First, I want to talk about John. Uh, It's no John here. Uh, John was a member of an Orthodox Presbyterian church, uh, a a denomination that started in response to uh, some of the liberalism that they saw in uh, the mainline Presbyterian church. So they they started this. uh, It's a very small denomination right now, but uh, they are Orthodox. And I don't mean Orthodox as in like Greek Orthodox or Russian Orthodox, I mean Orthodox in their theology. We would agree with most of their theology. And they, this John posted some, some good theology online. Now, he uh, uh, assented to and he articulates a, a Calvinist theology, so I disagree with him on some points, but it, 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 it is good theology. Uh, it's not bad. I disagree, but it's not bad, okay? There, there's a difference between something being bad and something you disagree with, and I, I don't agree with it, so, but it, it is good orthodox uh, theology. Probably a quarter of our Southern Baptists would hold to this same theology, maybe more nowadays. And in this uh, posting online, he refers to a number of different biblical doctrines. Uh, for example, the, the covenant of redemption. He said, beyond the scope of time, the Father and the Son made a covenant in eternity that the Son would bring a people to him that he may be glorified through them. Uh, that, that was one of the things he said he, he, on the doctrine of election. He said, I, I did not choose to be a Christian. The Father chose me. The Son saved me and the Spirit keeps me. Why me? I, I do not know. On justification by faith apart from works, he said, nobody save Christ can merit heaven based on his own works. There, there a couple of them should be on the screen here in, in a minute. Um, and on perseverance and eternal security, he said, know that you are saved in Christ and nothing, not death, nor torture, nor sin can steal your soul away from God. Good theology. He also posted some other things along with this, uh, this good theology. Uh, he posted things like, If I won't defend my race, how can I expect others to do the same? Uh, white supremacy. He used several anti-Semitic tropes and and themes. He referred to cultural Marxism, a a favorite theme and a a scare phrase of the alt-right and others to to cast in a horrible light those who are concerned about racism and other forms of oppression. He, He said, every Jew 
is responsible for the meticulously planned genocide of the European race. Very pure racism. He, he mentioned the, their role, Jews' role in the murder of the Son of Man, that is the Christ. Every Jew, young and old, has contributed to these. For these crimes, they deserve nothing but hell. He idolized Robert Bowers, who six months ago shot up a, a synagogue in Philadelphia and killed, I believe, seven people. Uh, Brenton Tarrant, who shot up a, uh, the, the, or blew up, I guess, the mosque in uh, uh, Christchurch, New Zealand, and said that they were a catalyst for him personally. He, they showed him that it could be done, that it needed to be done. He said any white man, rich or poor, young or old, who is brave enough can take any action he wants against the tyrannical and genocidal Jew. He said, are they in my nation but do not hate my race? I do not hate them, but they aren't staying. Are they out of my nation and do not hate my race? Fine by me, espousing white nationalism. And then on April 27th, he walked into a synagogue in San Diego, murdered one person, and injured three others. The, the, one of the ones he injured was the rabbi. Uh, the person that died was a 67-year-old lady, I believe, who threw herself in front of the rabbi to keep him from being killed. And before he acted this out, he, he posted along with, this was all in the same manifesto, he said, I did not want to have to kill Jews, but they have given us no other option. I'm just a normal dude who wanted to have a family, help and heal people and play piano, but the Jew, with his genocidal instincts, is insistent on poking the bear until it tears his head off. The Jew has forced our hand, and our response is completely justified. My God does not take kindly to the destruction of his creation, especially one of the most beautiful, intelligent, and innovative races that he has ever created. Least of all, at the hands of one of the most ugly, sinful, deceitful, cursed, and corrupt. My God understands why I did what I did. Similar sort of beliefs that led Dylan Roof to murder nine black people at Emanuel AME Church in Charleston, a number of years ago, uh, his Christian background wasn't nearly as clear, but the same sort of issues. His family, John's family, put out a statement. Our son's actions were informed by people we do not know and ideas we do not hold. Like our other five children, he was raised in a family of faith and a community that all rejected hate and taught that love must be the motive for everything we do. How our son was attracted to such darkness is a terrifying mystery to us. And I'm sure it was. Pastor Duke Kwan, who, was, who is pastor of another Orthodox Presbyterian, uh, I'm sorry, he's not pastor of an Orthodox Presbyterian, he, uh, uh, a different Presbyterian church, said of John, the problem is that what he believed about personal salvation, according to our tradition, could have been enough for him to be saved. But it wasn't enough to save him from embracing anti-Semitic and white supremacist beliefs and perpetrating hateful violence and murder. Now, you're wondering, what does this have to do with sponsoring children? Well, it's a good question. That's why I said I, I, I ended up in a place I was not expecting when I came to this passage. This passage would have been wonderful for, uh, for us to just talk about 
the importance of reaching out to the, the needy and the oppressed, etc., etc. But then this happened. And we, we rightfully expect when uh, a, a radical Islamist uh, attacks a Christian church somewhere, we rightfully expect moderate Muslims who believe that to be absolutely sinful, even in their own faith, to decry what was done. Well, here we have a guy, 19-year-old kid. Sorry if you're 19 and you feel offended that I called him a kid, but I'm old enough I can now. A 19-year-old kid who espouses very orthodox, very clear Uh, doctrines of salvation and faith. Doctrines that though, while some of us in here can espouse exactly, we we have folks in here who lean more reformed and that's beautiful and fine and wonderful, all of us can take most of what he said and go, yep, absolutely, that is exactly what we believe about salvation. Here was one of our own perpetrating this racist, white supremacist, white nationalist murder on a peaceful group of people worshiping on a Saturday morning. And that's exactly what Isaiah is talking about. He is talking about, as we're going to see when we're working through this passage, he's talking about your worship and, and your, 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 your theology even, maybe. Your, your practice all looks great, but there's nothing to it. As a matter of fact, you are bringing sinfulness into your worship. Our big idea for today is that the gospel that saves us must change every action, thought, opinion, and feeling that we have. And if it does that, then we live the gospel the way Isaiah is talking about. Isaiah chapter 1, verses 10 through 20. Read along with me. Take a Bible uh, from the, the pew rack if you need one. Best I know, it follows exactly what you will see on the screen. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the instruction of our God, you people of Gomorrah. What are all your sacrifices to me? asked the Lord. I've had enough of burnt offerings and rams and the fat of well-fed cattle. I have no desire for the blood of bulls, lambs, or male goats. When you come to appear before me, who requires this from you, this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing useless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons and Sabbaths and the calling of solemn assemblies. I cannot stand iniquity with a festival. I hate your new moons and prescribed festivals. They have become a burden to me. I'm tired of putting up with them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I will refuse to look at you. Even if you offer countless prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are covered with blood. Wash yourselves. Clean your, cleanse yourselves. Remove your evil deeds from my sight. Stop doing evil. Learn to do what is good. Correct the oppressor. Defend the rights of the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. Come, let us settle this, says the Lord. Though your, skins are, your sins are scarlet, they will be white as snow. Though they are crimson red, they will be like wool. 
If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the good things of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. We've got to get some context here. We've got to see what Isaiah was talking to, uh, who he was talking about. Verses 10 through 15 give us the background of that. And in a phrase, in a nutshell, God is saying, your worship is sinful. Your worship is sinful. They are doing everything they were told to do. And as a matter of fact, in some of these places, you can almost hear their cry back to God. But we're doing what you said. We're, we're doing the sacrifices at the right time and all the festivals in the right way. What's your deal, God? Well, he starts off by calling them. He's talking to Judah and Jerusalem, and he calls them Sodom and Gomorrah. He refers to Judah and Jerusalem. Doesn't even say you are like, you're living like, you're kind of acting like. Have you noticed how you compare to? Have you? No, he says, listen, Sodom. Here, Sodom, listen, Gomorrah. He's just now talking to them like they weren't even his people. And as we read through there, he's talking about all the different aspects of worship that he despises. He despises now what the people call worship. He doesn't despise what he set up as worship. He doesn't despise sacrifices and festivals and all those things. Those are all symbols of what he has done in the life of his people. And he wants them to partake in those symbols in order to worship him and to to give visual to what he has done in the spiritual. But he despises what they call worship. And we're not just talking about meaningless worship. There are plenty of times in the Old Testament where the prophets and others call out empty, fake worship. Like there's nothing inside them. They're just going through some motions. That's not exactly what he's talking about here. There are also times when he points out that they are worshiping him in an idolatrous manner. They are taking the the religious and worship practices of their neighbors and uh, using them in worship of him. He's not talking about that either, though not entirely, not just idolatrous worship. What he is talking about specifically here, as we will see when we get through verses 16 through 20... Specifically, he is talking about worship that was done without any repentance and sanctification. Worship that didn't begin anywhere except at the threshold of the church door. Worship that brought in all the mess, all the sinfulness of the world and said, it's fine that we have all this stuff going on in our hearts as long as we go to church or go to temple, in this case, and go through the motions. See, the people of this day, at this time, believed that the actions which were symbolic that did not make them right with God, but symbolized their rightness with God through faith, they believed that the actions, the symbolic actions, could do the saving. I can do what I want to during the week, and if I go to the temple and go through the motions, I'm saved. I've fixed it. I've pleased God. I've done the things he really wants me to do. He wants me to do it, do worship this way. And if I do worship this way, it covers up that er- uh, everything that went on during the week. One commentator called this religious sin. 
it left iniquity unchallenged and unchanged. I don't need to do anything with my heart in order to come and worship the Lord. The worshiping fixes my heart. And then he says in verse 15, your hands are covered with blood. This was figurative blood on their hands. He says it of everyone because everyone had a responsibility to everyone else. And that in the church has not changed. So they all come with figurative blood on their hands, with sin, with false worship, and then with complicity in those who would do those things during the week and cover it up or try to cover it up in the church. And then he's going to tell them how to fix that. And he's going to show them that a temple, or in our case, a church hostile to people, is a church hostile to God, whether the church knows it or not. Notice what he, as we get into this, notice what he is saying will fix the worship. It's going to be obedience. But it's going to be very specific obedience. In verse 16, he says, wash yourselves, cleanse yourselves. Some translations say, wash and be clean. Acts 13, 24 gives us a, a picture of that very thing when it uses the phrase baptism of repentance. He's not saying that water cleanses you, but symbolically, this was part of worship, was they would wash themselves. They would clean themselves up before going to temple, before going into the sacrifices. They would wash their hands, symbolically showing what was going on, should have been going on, in their hearts. What he is telling them, even though they do all the ritual cleansings correctly, he's telling them, but you ain't clean. Wash yourselves. Cleanse yourselves. What is he talking about? He is talking about turn from your sin. Stop doing the things that you are doing. Stop being the things that you are being. Stop living in sin and then coming in and thinking if you wash your hands, you're good. Wash yourself. Cleanse yourself. But there's, there's a hint here, not just of don't do that anymore. Like, okay, I've done it, I've done it, I've done it, I've done it. I stop, and I don't do it anymore. Whew, that's over with. That's what we like, isn't it? We, we, we have a, a, a home example, don't we? Big brother punches little brother. Little brother cries and tattles. Mommy, mommy, hit me. I'm the little brother. I can make fun of him. This is what I did. And usually, I hit him first, and he hit me back. And he hit me harder so I could get him in trouble. Yeah, but let's assume I was in the right. Me, 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 mommy, hit me. Rarely was it, well, sometimes you're just not in the mood. You're like, stop, go away. But sometimes, if we're wanting to really teach, we don't just say, don't hit your brother. We say, Go apologize. Go make it right. And every big brother loves to do that, don't they? No, they don't. And every little brother loves to accept that apology, don't they? 
Well, they like the fact he's having to apologize. But that's not what we're talking about. That attitude is not what we're talking about. But that is what we are talking about God is saying here. God is not saying just stop sinning, but make right what you have done. Expect responsibility for your actions up to this point and rectify them. Don't just stop what you're doing, but fix to the best of your ability what you can. Don't think that this act of worship... This, this going through some motions makes you holy. It does not. True worship does not substitute for obedience. True worship inspires obedience. If we are coming here to worship the Lord, if they were coming to the temple to worship Yahweh, then, and they really wanted to experience him in his presence what they would have done was truly cleansed themselves their hearts their lives prior to coming in and they would have experienced incredible worship and then in that presence they would have said i want to be even more like him and the next week would have been even closer to what god had called them to be but instead they were wanting to substitute worship for obedience and that is not the way it works Wash yourselves, cleanse yourselves, remove your evil deeds from my sight. Stop doing evil. Don't just stop, but you are responsible for your actions and their results. I am responsible, you are responsible, when my sin affects someone negatively. Therefore, when I repent of that sin... I am responsible to going to that person and making it right. Am I making this up? Or did Jesus not say, when you come and bring your offering to the, the church, and you remember what? That you have something against your brother? Nope. When you remember your brother has something against you, go and make it right, and then bring your offering. It, it, it's, it, it, this is just, it's just there. We can't get away from it. We are are responsible for our actions and their results. And then true repentance wants to make things right again. If I am truly repentant of my sin, then I should be truly desirous of a new relationship with that person against whom I have sinned. Stop doing evil and fix the results of your evil to the best of your ability. Verse 17 Learn to do what is good. There's our sermon title for the day. Do what is good. Learn to do what is good. He, he juxtaposes here in verse 16, evil, with verse 17, good. And if you think back to just some weeks ago, we talked about when God created and everything was good. Good is what aligns with God's plan. This would be going from our first circle of God's design to the second circle of brokenness in our three circles uh, gospel presentation. Good is what aligns with God's plan. Sin is what deviates from that plan. It's what deviates from God's design. So he's saying if you want to do what is good, and he's going to follow it up with what that looks like, 
he's clearly saying injustice and oppression are wrong because they are in defiance of the nature of creation. This is nothing I haven't said before, and it's nothing that most preachers probably haven't said when they talk about the image of God that we bear. We are to seek justice and help the oppressed because those people are made in the image of God. And God declared their creation good, every one of them. If a person exists, their creation is good. Their presence is good. They bear the image of God. And we do good when we align ourselves with God's plan. And when we sin, we are deviating from that plan. Therefore, injustice, oppression, outside of God's plan, are bad, are sinful. There's a, a, a lady here recently, like yesterday, uh, famous in the theological world. In conservative theological world, she's famous for all the wrong reasons. Um, she was a, a liberal, progressive theologian. She, uh, she died tragically yesterday. Um, she had pneumonia. She reacted to an antibiotic. It caused seizures. They put her in a coma. When they tried to bring her out of the coma, her brain swelled, and, and she died yesterday. 37 years old, uh, leaves a husband and a three-year-old and a few-month-old. Just a tragic, tragic situation. And most of what I saw in social media was pray for the family. Oh, my goodness, this is horrible. There are a few out there that are dancing on her grave. As wrong as she was theologically, she was still a creation of God. She still bore the image of God. She is someone, as we discussed in Sunday school this morning, that we should love regardless. And we should respond to in love. There's a particular group of... Uh, I have a lot of names for them, and a lot of them I can't say from the pulpit and probably shouldn't say anywhere else. They're just not good people that wrote a blog that uh, said, how to react at the death of an apostate, someone who, a heretic, basically mocking her death, because that's what they do. And I responded to someone that I have tried, and y'all have heard me preach, so this is, I mean, preach this, so this is me being held accountable by you, that it was not outside of my vocabulary to call people animals or trash when they would do things that were animal-like or trashy. And I, I commented to this person, they really test my limits and my sanctification when they do this sort of thing, but they, the people who write, this tripe, they are image bearers too. They bear God's image. God loves them, and they are created in his image, just like I am, just like the young lady who died. We are all image bearers. So any injustice or oppression against those people are wrong, any of it. 
because that defies the nature of God's creation. So when we learn to do what is good and we understand what good is, then we begin to pursue justice. This word justice is an expression of the character of God. God is just. God is love. God is holy. God is vengeful. God is wrathful. God is just. These are all expressions of his character, perfectly exposed to us throughout his word, and specifically as Jesus bore our sins on the cross. God is just. But in this situation, this word is very specifically, even more specifically, talking about justice in courts. This is talking about making sure that we pursue justice in the courtroom. And while we might think, well, that doesn't, you know, injustice in the courtrooms don't happen. Don't you just remember last week that two examples I used of people falsely convicted of crimes because of suppression, one of them very clearly, suppression of evidence. Actually, both of them, suppression of evidence. Injustice does happen, happen in the courts, and it is our responsibility to stand for fairness. Our Christian responsibility to stand for fairness in the courts. Why is it my responsibility, Michael? Because the God we serve is just. And therefore, if we believe that our country should be ruled on Christian principles and Christian values, then we should very definitely believe that our courtrooms should be as just and as fair as God is. It's just what the Bible says. And today, we have specifically, again, I'm using that word a lot here in this section, a very real racial disparity in our judicial and prison systems. Now, if you do the studies, you find that, uh, for the most part, disparity in conviction rates, uh, arrest rates, and that sort of thing, they fall more along poverty lines than they do race lines. So, primarily, the, the, the reason for injustice or higher rates of incarceration among people, if you, you only look at... The main reason, the main reason is poverty. And yet, if you're black, you're seven times more likely to be convicted. Racial disparity exists in our judicial and prison systems. And we can, we can look at various factors and think, well, that's just, that's just their fault. It does not matter. We pursue justice. Who's, whoever... Whoever, whomever the fault lies with, we pursue justice. And at those times where justice is the punishment, then great, the punishment should be had. But at those times where justice is exoneration, we as Christians should be the first to say, God is just, therefore we will be just. The next phrase, the next imperative God has here is correct the oppressor. The, the translation, the, the Hebrew is a little... Uh, 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 ambiguous here. It could either be correct the oppressor or aid the oppressed. That's just two sides of the same coin. 
whether you think they deserve the oppression or earned the oppression or, well, they just didn't pull themselves up by their bootstraps like they should or whatever your reason to step back is, there is no biblical reason to step back. There is only biblical reason to step forward. So if we take the two sides of that coin, if we take first that we are to correct the oppressor, then we as believers should stand against those who would oppress any group or any people. And that will mean things like calling abortion and racism and slavery and sex trafficking the sins that they are. These are methods of oppression. And we as the church should be on the front lines of it. Hunger, famine. Who caused the famine? The weather. But that still makes them an oppressed, needy group that we, the church, and we do. Baptist Global Relief and other ways that we help those. But we should be doing more. Standing against the oppressor. One of the big things you can do you know, on, on mission trips, especially to third world nations, is uh, major, major mission work now is dig wells. So people don't have to walk six, seven miles to get clean water. They have a well in their town. That sounds minor. We're like, clean water? Just turn on the tap. It's not there for them. That's, that is, that is a, an oppression that we can take care of, and we stand against that. But not only do we stand against, not only do we correct the oppressor, we aid the oppressed. We stand for those who are oppressed. We work to better the lives of those caught in oppression. So when someone has an abortion, and we believe that that abortion took a life, we would call that murder. We love the person who did it. And we come alongside them. We have a dear friend. I talk about her a lot uh, in, in my sermons. Who had a friend here recently. Who said, I, I don't remember her reasons. Age, they had kids. I don't remember. Just, it was too much right now. She was going to have an abortion. And our friend tried to talk her out of it. Tried to talk her out of it. Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And she did it. She did it anyway. And then our friend was devastated, of course. What do I do? She, she, she knew, I, I can't do anything but be there for when it breaks her. Be there to walk her through now the other side of it. The, the act is done. Do I kick this person to the curb? No, we stand for those. The, the baby, we would say in this case, was the oppressed one. We don't know all the circumstances for all the myriad reasons for people who have abortion. We should stand against the abortion clinics. But we do no good when we stand outside those abortion clinics and yell at the women who come out of them and call them murderers and demons and say they're going to hell. We should be coming alongside those people, those women, guys that are part of it as well, and standing with them and saying, what you've done is horrible, but you are made in the image of God. There's grace. There's forgiveness. 
there's comfort. Racism, slavery, there are 7 million, 70 million slaves in the world right now. Sex trafficking, we live on one of the best, and I use that term in a negative way, the most active corridors, I-10, for sex trafficking in the country. Rusty Havens, a guy here in the area, is doing great work against that. We should be doing things as Christians, as believers, to pull people out of that, to stand with them, regardless of what got them into the situation. We don't care about that as believers because Jesus wants to save them from whatever it is. Next command, defend the fatherless. Foster, adopt, support, sponsor. Oh, back up. Uh, sorry, Carol. I forgot where that picture was. This is Valeria, or Valeria. I'm not sure how they pronounce it. This is one of the two children we sponsor in Honduras. Uh, we've watched her grow from, I think she was a year and a half, maybe two years old when we started to sponsor her. She's in a situation she did not create. She had nothing to do with where she was born and the life she was born into, yet we can do something about that. We can stand for that little girl who lives in a life of oppression. We kind of, you know, don't quit using that word. It doesn't mean a person necessarily is oppressing them, though if you know anything about the government of Honduras, that's part of it. It just means life is oppressive. Can anybody here agree that there are days that life is oppressive for you? Y'all are Y'all got some great lives. I, I, I actually want a response here. I wanna, can, can anybody agree with me that occasionally life is oppressive? Okay. Wouldn't you have loved help in that situation? So we stand with them. Defend the fatherless. That's the next command. Foster, adopt. You know I'm going to talk about adoption. Foster, adopt. Support, foster to adopt families. Sponsor a child like uh, Valeria. But defend them. Go to court for them. One day, I hope to work with CASA, court-appointed special advocate for foster children, for children in the foster care system. I ain't got time for that right now. But one day, I hope to stand with them. The next one, plead the widow's cause. Stand with the widow. It, it's not as bad today as it was in the culture then when women had no rights once they lost their husband. But still, we can stand with widows. We can fight predation. We can fight these stupid email scammers and, and phone scammers and, and, and help folks who don't know the difference or confused by what everything, everything that they're hearing and we say no we stand with them we help single parent families maybe they are widows only because they left their husband does that make them any less needy does that make our call to help them any less a command from the lord no it does not so we help people no matter their situation and god says here you don't believe me are you curious about what I'm saying? Does this not sound right to you? Come, let us settle this, he says. What he's really saying, what I heard in my mind as I read that was, sit down, boy. This is a most literal come to Jesus meeting with God. When he says, come, let us settle this. 
Though your sins are, as, are scarlet, they will be white as snow. Though they're crimson red, they will look like wool. Repentance will fix it. You having this problem with worship? I'm telling you, you may not have a problem with worship, but God's saying, I have a problem with your worship. You want to know how to fix it? Repentance. Your sin can be done away with. Your obedience does not produce forgiveness. We ain't talking about work salvation here. Obedience doesn't produce forgiveness, but rather forgiveness has not occurred if there is no no obedience. You are not God's if you're not doing what God told you to do. And that's what he's telling the people. You're coming in here, and you're not even mine. You're worshiping, but I don't care about your worship because you have never forgive, has experienced my forgiveness. Verses 19 through 20. If you're willing and obedient, you will eat the good things of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. He's telling them your worship, your seeking God's presence is fruitless until you live a life of obedience. Not perfection, not I'm going to get it right all the time, but if you are willing and obedient, but if you refuse and rebel, refusing and rebelling is not messing up. Not, well, I was and I didn't, I didn't, Lord, I know I should have, and I I just did that. Mm, Sorry, forgive me. That's not refusing and rebelling. I think you can see the difference between the two. And when you come in here to worship, but your life is refusal and rebellion to be against the obedience of God, obedience to God, then your worship is fruitless. Scripture's clear. God's acceptance of your worship is directly related to your treatment of other people, particularly those who are oppressed, mistreated, or considered less than. Do you see it in Scripture? Your worship, the fact that you came in here on Sunday morning and you lifted your voice or you lifted your hands and you came in, I am going to experience God today. If your life for the past six days has reflected no obedience, particularly in the way you have treated uh, other people, and more particularly those who are oppressed, mistreated, or considered less than, then when God gets here, he's saying, I don't hear anything. I don't hear your singing. I don't see your hands. I don't experience your worship. Ray Ortland put it this way. If you want your worship to please me, speaking for God here, putting God in a first-person situation. If you want your worship to please me, do this. Become actively creative in compassion and justice for the people you have hurt, especially the people nobody else cares about, people who can't pay you back, people who might not thank you. Set right again the wrongs you've been tolerating. Then your worship will be beautiful to me, and then I will be real to you again. Have you, have you, have you felt like, you know, I worship, I go through the motions, but God, I just don't experience you? Maybe that's it. Maybe you need to begin to chip away at that lack of obedience, your love for other people. Believers, we are commanded to work against, not contribute to, the brokenness of this world. That's our command, and I'll put our main idea in a different way now. If your heart is against a group, indifferent to the plight of the less fortunate, 
or sympathetic toward groups that participate in these in any way, you need to repent. That's just that's what God's saying. Remember, God's creation. That was good. Sin messed that up. God's design, the way he planned things, the imago dei, the image of God in people, sin ripped that apart. And so we see brokenness in our world today. We see oppression. We see the fatherless with nothing. We see widows left alone. We see injustice over and over and over. That is just a result of our brokenness. And, and, and different groups will tell you different ways to fix that. And we'll throw money at it from this side. And we'll, we'll tell them to pick themselves up by their bootstraps on that side. And, and all we're going to see is more brokenness. Because these aren't the things that can fix that brokenness. The only thing that can fix that brokenness is the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ. The, the forgiveness that we experience when we trust him as our savior, when we believe and repent, repent of our sin, and believe what the Bible tells us to believe about the gospel, that according to the scriptures, Christ died. He was buried, and then he was raised again three days later according to the scriptures. We believe that that's the Jesus we uh, trust, that he did that to take our sinfulness, to take our sins, and to save us. And then... Once that gospel has affected us, once we do like Isaiah said and we see that we, we come with, with pure worship, we wash our hands and we cleanse ourselves and we do these things, we see that we are pursuing and recovering a little bit of God's design. And we're able to go to the oppressed and the hurt and the downtrodden and say, life's not going to be great maybe. I might not be able to fix all your problems, though, though that's what we're supposed to try to do. But I can't give you the gospel. The gospel that will transcend your issues. Get back to God's design. This morning, maybe you need to get back to God's design. Maybe it's as an unbeliever, you need to trust Christ. Get back to that. Maybe as a believer, you need to repent of disobedience, so that your worship will be his. Let's pray. Father, thank you for speaking to us this morning. God, may we be about doing what is good so that we can see your heart, we can see your image in every person. And Lord, because of our actions, may our worship be worthy and may our worship lead again to obedience, Lord. May we stand before your word and see where we have failed. Not respond in, in defensiveness, but respond in repentance. Lord, move in this place this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So do what is good this morning. Repent of your sin and trust Christ. Come forward to, to say, I want to follow in obedience and baptism. Come to join our church. Come these prayer rails to lift up your heart and say, God, I need to be obedient to you. I need to follow in the ways that you have told me to. Whatever your decision is this morning, let's take a few minutes. Let's worship. Let's hear what God tells us and let's do business with him as we stand and sing.